Welcome to Passion Life Church. We're going to continue this amazing series that we've called Built to Last, and we have one more. Today I'm going to talk about building your, a godly marriage, and then next week, we're going to, next time we're together, we're going to talk about building a godly family. And uh, don't miss Rex Crane next week. It's going to be absolutely incredible. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 23. We're going to begin reading in verse 3. I'm excited about youth today. If you have your uh, young people, get them to Rival Coffee today at 4 o'clock. It's going to be awesome. You know, I always like hearing feedback from the young people when they say, I really liked uh, what was shared today. And we're sharing these revelations and the word of God with them that nobody shared with me. And I think it's going to help build their lives. Proverbs chapter 23, we're going to begin reading in verse three in just a moment. This series has been focusing on an attribute of God that we don't really talk about a lot. And that's that God is a builder. And you as his child have his attributes and characteristics in you. Can I hear a good amen today? So being that God is a builder, then you are a builder. Say this with me. Say, I'm a builder. Come on, type it in the chat this morning. Say, I'm a builder. And today we're going to talk about building a godly marriage. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4. It says, through wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You know, this word wisdom actually means the skill to apply what you know or the skill to apply knowledge. Knowledge is actually the facts, the truth, right? And understanding is the ability to translate meaning from the facts. In other words, the Bible says truth. When you build your life on truth, it will fill your home with pleasant riches. That's good. Isn't that good? If we'll, if we'll do that, it'll, it'll build the house. So if I want the rooms of my house to have precious and pleasant riches, I have to have wisdom and knowledge. And that's what we're going to look at as we talk about building a godly marriage. Now, let's be honest. When we start, when we were younger, we started dreaming and thinking about marriage, right? Sometimes we can have this fairy tale mentality, right? That Cinderella is going to meet her prince charming. Come on, somebody, right? And then we're going to be rich. We're going to live in a castle. We're going to have a butler, right? And we're going to hire a cleaning service, never have to clean our house. And then reality sets in. You get married, you go on the honeymoon, and then you got to go back to work, <laughs> right? You go back to work. And then you wake up and come on, you look at your spouse. They got bedhead. Come on, somebody. They got bad breath. And reality sets in. You have work and then you have bills. You have to clean. Then you have kids and four dogs. And life is complicated. Can I hear a good amen today? And it's a really different reality than uh, than what you had envisioned. Do you know if you were to get married today, the average cost of a wedding is twenty four thousand six hundred bucks. Twenty four thousand six hundred bucks. If you were, you know, I, I just I, I, the wedding thing to me is just funny. It's like I got to pay for you to eat at my wedding. <laughs> Come on, somebody at my reception, I got to pay. I was looking at, I was cleaning out some 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 stuff in my closet, and I gave all my groomsmen a, a beautiful pen engraved. You know, and I'm like, man, I got to give them gifts to be in my wedding. It's my wedding. It's kind of funny. That's probably why it costs so much. But you know, what's amazing to me is that how much we'll spend on a wedding and never spend anything close to that on investing in the marriage and investing in the marriage. And let's be honest, nobody gets married believing it's going to fail. And yet now statistics are saying that almost 50% of marriages fail. Watch this. Almost 50% of marriages fail almost 60% of second marriages fail. So that means the first marriage failed and they jumped into another relationship and got married and that failed faster. Than, more people are failing at the second marriage than they did the first. And you know what this can be? This can be as if we're not building the house with wisdom and knowledge. Come on, somebody, right? We're just doing what we think, maybe building on our experience and we're not working on the marriage. And I think that's what can happen sometimes is that when we realize that marriage is work, we're like, did I marry the wrong, pe the wrong person? You know, come on. I, I, I this is work. I thought I'm just going to be in love. I'm going to have goose pimples. My knees are going to be weak every time I'm around them, you know, but having to work at this relationship. But the truth is 
we need to understand that any system led to uh, left to itself, including marriage, if it's not taken care of, it's going to deteriorate. It's going to deteriorate, you know, but I'm glad you're here today because you being here is actually investing in your marriage. You watching online today is saying, hey, I need wisdom. I need knowledge. And that's going to build your house. You know, Harvard did a study. There's a Harvard study that shows that most marriages right now, right, have a one in two chance of surviving. But those who go to church regularly, they pray together. They read their Bibles together. They have a one in 1,000 and 105 chance of divorce. So you sitting in church today, what are you doing? That's humility. That's saying, hey, you know what, God, I need your help in my life. You watching today, you're saying, I need wisdom in the areas of my relationship. I need this knowledge. I need to build my life on truth. Do you know that you're going to defy the odds for that? You know, I love this other study I read and I saw it said it showed that the couples who attend church together, even as little as once a month, increase their chances of staying married. You know, I think some people are like, well, it's not a big deal if I go to church. It doesn't matter. Actually, it does. It can actually save your marriage. It can actually help your marriage. Now, the opposite of truth. I, I, I meet so many people. I talk to so many people in 30 years of pastoring. People don't think the church is important to their life, reading their Bible and praying. Can I tell you what those three things do? Those three things, going to church, reading your Bible and praying, is an act of humility. It's an act of humility saying that I need more than what I know, so I need to hear from the Lord. Come on, somebody. Can I hear a good amen? And so we can go from one marriage to another and actually fail because we never, we never open up our hearts and our lives to wisdom. We think we know all of the answer. And I'm so glad that you're here today because it shows me that you're investing in your marriage. Now, if you would today, as we talk about marriage, if you would just uh, give, give me, uh, allow me to to speak on multiple levels here today because not everybody in here and everybody watching online is married, right? We have single people. Come on, if you're single and you're not married, raise your hand. Come on, if you're single, not, all right, everybody look, come on, hold them up high. I'm trying to hook you up. Come on, hold, hold them up high. Come on, look around. Let's see what you got. Come on, you can ask somebody out for coffee today. Come on, hold them up. Single is not a bad word. We treat single people like it's a disease, like, oh, you're single? When are you getting married? Like, that's when you're going to have real value. Come on, somebody. Single people, you should be happy. Like, I'm here. Look around. Look around. The best place to meet somebody is in church. Come on. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good, single people. Trying to help you out today. And you have married people I'm talking to. Come on. If you're married, raise your hand. Come on. Come on. I just saw somebody go like this to her husband. Like, raise your hand. We're we're married here. That's what we are. (laughs) And then you can put your hands down. And, uh. And then maybe you've been married, you know, uh, maybe, maybe you've gone through a divorce. And I just want to encourage you today. Never say never. Not because Justin Bieber ran, sang that song, but open your heart because you never know. That also was my mom. My mom was married. She went through a horrible divorce. It was tough on our family. And she said, I'm never getting married again. She doesn't talk like that. She never smoked cigarettes, but it was like, I'm never getting married again. Right? Woo. And then when she saw Dan, everything changed. Come on, somebody. God opened up her eyes. And, and she's like, yeah, I think it was like after the second date. She's like, Dan and I are friends. And, and I think he's the one. I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Wait a minute. I thought you, got, <laughs> you weren't going to get married. But, you know, listen, don't limit God in your life if you've been married before. You know, not everybody is like your ex. Come on, somebody. Can I hear a good Amen. Come on, God can do something amazing. But I think it's important to keep your heart open. But whatever your relationship status here, I want you to understand that today you can get ministered to because when it comes to marriage, marriage was always meant to be more than a relationship between two people. When it comes to marriage and biblical marriage, the Bible uses the relationship between Jesus and the church to teach us about marriage. So it's a relationship between God and his people. And so when we look at biblical marriage, it paints this picture. Jesus is the husband. And the church is the bride. Come on, if you think that's weird, being married to Jesus, it's very weird for me to say I'm the bride of Christ. Come on, somebody. For me to be a bride. But this is the picture that it paints that Jesus is the perfect groom, and he marries the church, and he's the perfect husband. And Jesus said this. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So watch this. Jesus himself, this is Jesus talking, says, I'm going to build because I'm a builder. 
So every marriage has to be built. And the marriage you have is the marriage you build, right? Great marriage don't happen by accident. Great marriages happen intentionally, strategically. Come on, can I hear a good amen today? And so Jesus says, here's what I'm doing with my bride is that I'm building her. I'm going to build her. And this is what he does. How many of you, Jesus, has been building your life? Let me see your hand. That's why we've been singing that song. That, that's what he does. So watch this. I love this because the Bible says, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if I build my marriage the way Jesus builds his church, I can have a hell-proof marriage and I can defy the odds. Come on, somebody. I don't have to be a part of this statistic that I can do it right. But I think it's important when we talk about marriage that we realize that marriage was God's idea. It's God's idea, right? It originated in the mind of God. God created Adam, right? And he looked at Adam and he said, hmm, <laughs> all right, Adam. Uh, oh, it's not good that you'd be alone. And I don't know what Adam was doing at that point. I don't know if, if God looked down and, you know, Adam was running around naked in the garden and he picked up some scissors and he's like, God's like, no, 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 no. Uh, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. So I'm going to make you a help me. I'm going to make you a help me. How many of you married ladies, any of you, lady, any of you ladies, you, your man, he tries to, to fix something. And he makes it worse. <laughs> and, and, and he makes it, he makes it worse, right? Or he uh, puts together some I Ikea furniture and then he always has like some parts left over, right? And then you're like, I don't, he's like, sit down. You're like, mm, nah, I, I'm not going to sit down. And then he blames Ikea. He's like, it's Ikea. They have all of those, those parts, empty parts. And then you're like, honey, I think we should call somebody. Come on, man. Let wisdom build the house. <laughs> Because wisdom often sounds like my wife. Come on, ladies. You can say a good amen. Come on. Amen. Come on. You can do better than that. Come on, ladies. Say amen. Wisdom in our house often sounds like my wife, right? And so in God's perspective, it was his idea. But his idea of marriage is that marriages would be strong, that marriages would last long. Marriage is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Can I hear a good amen? And that's what happens is sometimes when we're about to get married, we got all of these emotions. We're excited, right? We're planning the wedding, the wedding and the honeymoon. It's like a sprint. We're going to do it. Yeah. And then after the honeymoon, we got to realize, like, I got to live with this person. I got to live with this person. Oh, man, it's been tough. Do you know right now the average marriage in America is eight years long? Is eight years long? And so marriage is supposed to be long. It's till death do us part. And I know some of you are like, I know, Phil, I know God doesn't like divorce, so I'm just hoping, God, kill me now. Kill me now, God. Kill me now. I want out of this. No, no, no. I'm glad you're here today because I think that this is going to help you. Because here's the truth about marriage is God wants our marriage to be a reflection of his relationship with us and how he treats us. What I want to do today is I want to talk about how Jesus builds his bride. That's us and what he does for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says this, husbands, love your wives just as, everybody say that, say just as, just as Christ loved the church, and listen to this, these words, and gave himself for her. Listen, I love the way the message translation says it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving. Come on, everybody say giving. Not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. And that is so profound. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best in her, dressing her in dazzling white silk. Come on. I thought while I was reading this, I'd hear some better amens from the ladies. Like, whoo, yeah, go ahead. Preach it, Pastor Phil. Read the word of God. I like the message translation. It brings out the best in her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing, watch this, themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Now, I'll show you four ways that God builds his bride. But when we talk about marriage, I want you to listen for you today, right? Because it's real easy, especially when we talk about this stuff, to listen and say, hey, that's for you, right? That, that, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, he needs to hear this. Mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, she needs to hear this. Say, I want to listen for me. And so the way that Jesus builds his bride is, number one, 
He believes, and this is the truth, that love builds the best. Now, that may not mean a lot to us today because the word love is used so loosely today, right? I love my job. I love the beach. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. I love my cat and I love my wife. So my cat and my wife are on the equal level of the things that I love. Come on. Can I hear a good amen today? Right? Because we just use that word. We just use the word love or we use it in a term. And this is my pet peeve. Okay. I know a lot of people use it. I've actually heard this in worship songs. It's just my little pet peeve. We say that love is outside of our control when we say this, right? I fell in love. Okay. I fell in love. So I was, I was not in love. I was not. And I was walking and I tripped. Oh, I love you. I love you. What happened? I fell in love. In other words, love was outside of my control and it happened by accident. It wasn't strategic. It wasn't intentional and it wasn't a choice. It was an accident because I fell in love. So here's the problem that I have with that. When we fall in love, you can be walking in love. And if that's the way that you got in love is you trip and you fell and you, you fell in love, you can trip and fall and fall out of love because love is never out. It's always outside of your control, but that's not biblical love. Love grows. Jesus made a choice to love his bride. Can I hear a good amen today? The Bible says that Jesus gave himself for his bride. So real love is really defined by an action of giving of oneself. And that is, that, that's a choice. My church family, you cannot separate loving and giving. Listen, you can give and not love, but you cannot love and not give. You can't. Love is, is a generous act. And so look, look at what Jesus did. Jesus is, is in heaven and he's talking to God and God looks down and says, look at these imperfect people. Without us, what Adam did, there's sin in the world. And you know what? They're all going to die. And are we going to let them die? And then Jesus says, you know what? I will go and give myself for a dying, imperfect people. Because they made the choices that they made, I'm, because I love them, I'm going to give myself to them. And so I'm going to give myself. And so Jesus didn't want us to die in our sins. So out of his love, he went to the cross. He gave himself right? And so watch this. Jesus entered into a relationship with you and I by giving of himself first. And we were imperfect. We were imperfect, imperfect people. And so I'm supposed to love my wife as Jesus loved the church. And how did Jesus love the church? He gave himself. So when I say I love, I have to give of myself. Now notice the Bible doesn't say God so loved the world, he bought the church a box of chocolates. Notice the Bible didn't say that God so loved the world that he gave us a bunch of flowers. I'm not opposed to all that. I think all those things are great. Here's what the Bible says, that God so loved the world that Jesus gave himself. See, ladies, for those of you that aren't married, it's important to understand, don't marry a guy just because he's rich and he has gives you gifts because he can give you presents without giving you his presence. Ooh, that was good. That's what true love is. It's not that I just give you chocolate, right? Or I give you flowers. No, I give of myself to you. That's love. So that changes the dynamic of when I just say, well, I love this. I love that. And I understand you can have a love for your cat. I don't understand how people love cats. But anyway, we're going to move forward. But it changes the dynamics of, hey, I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would love to go see them play the Los Angeles Chargers because it's going to happen in Los Angeles. That's pretty close. But when I look at the tickets and they're $300, I don't love them that much. You know why? Because I'm not, watch, I'm not going to give $300 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I can't justify them. I don't love them that much. So when I say that word I love, it means that I'm going to have to give of myself. Are you glad that you came this morning? I, I'm going to have to give of myself. So here's what Jesus did. He gave himself first. Now, when you read in, in Ephesians chapter five, it talks about husbands being the head, right? And so let me just tell you what that means, husbands. That means that we are a leader. And 
here's what happens. I'm supposed to be a leader in my marriage and in my home just as Jesus led. So let me break it down because I love this definition of leader. Leaders means that you go first. Leaders mean that you're the example. Leaders make things better. So if I'm going to lead as the husband and the head of my home with my wife, if there is a disagreement, and how many of you know we have disagreements because we're people, right? We're people. We see things different, and we grew up different. We have different experiences, right? We communicate differently. So my wife and I, we're learning after 10 years, almost 11 years of marriage, and how long have we known each other now? 13 years? Okay, good. If she doesn't know, then it doesn't bother me that I don't know. I'm off the hook. But we're still learning how each other and how we talk, right? And this was a little bit tough because she would say, hand me a napkin. So I would hand her what I thought was a napkin. She didn't want a napkin. She wanted a paper towel. But she calls them napkins, right? So I was handing her what I thought was a, a paper towel. She's like, no, that's a napkin. No, I grew up, it was called paper towels, and the napkins were the little square ones, and paper towels were the bigger, come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about? But what I'm saying is that we, we just, we're just different. And so what we're doing is when there is a disagreement, and I, I live my life this way, because if I'm going to have a marriage that lasts, i got to be more like Jesus. And so if there's a disagreement and somebody needs to, you know, apologize or ask for forgiveness, leaders go first. So for me, that means even though I got to put my tail between my legs, come on, shake that tail feather. You got to put it between your legs and you got to go in. You got to say, I'm sorry. Now, let me tell you a little caveat to it. I may have not done anything wrong, but leaders go first. So if there's anybody in this relationship that's going to act like Jesus, it's the person who's going to go first. Because that's what Jesus did. He looked at an imperfect bride and said, I will give myself first. And so before we get all upset, listen, I want to tell you, this is the kind of leader that Jesus is. He is a servant leader. So now, if you are all about, if you are single and you are all about yourself, don't get married. Because you have to serve other people. You have to serve your wife because that's the kind of, of leadership that Jesus is. He gave himself. So what did Jesus do? Hear me. He died to himself to save us. He died to himself to save us. His leaders go first. This is why Paul said this in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. He said, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith of the son of God. Watch who loved me. There's that word again. So even Paul is talking about love in a sac in a self-sacrificial way, sacrificing self. He said, the son of God who loved me, watch here it is and gave himself. So watch Paul was saying this when I was left to myself before I gave myself to Christ, left to myself, I was angry. Paul was a Pharisee. I was religious. This is what self will do. Self will make you religious. Self will make you judgmental. Oh, look at them. How oh, they're living their life. Right? It excuses other people's, I mean, it excuses my own behavior, but judges other people's behavior. Because it's based on self. So Paul's saying, left to myself. If you just leave it to myself, I am critical. I am religious. And you know what? When I see people that I don't like, I'm angry and I will kill them. You know that Paul was a murderer. Paul murdered Christians as a Pharisee. But this is what the grace of God can do in our life. The, God, the grace of God can take a murderer, come on, and turn him into a missionary. It was Paul who was very, very religious. But after, watch, he gave himself up and, right, crucified self. After he did that, what happened was Christ started to live through him. So now when he saw people that he didn't like, he loved them through the love that was living on him on the inside that was the love of Christ. Because God was the one who made a difference. And somebody who was religious now, because Christ lives through them, is writing about grace in the New Testament. So I just want to encourage you, because the truth is, is that when you give up yourself, you always give you always get back more than what you gave up. 
Paul gave up his life. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Now it's not me who's living. It's Christ living through me. And watch this. And that's true life. That's what life is all about. It's not about hurting people. It's not just about my anger and how I see things. It's how God sees people. How does God see them? And you know what? That can only help and help. That can only happen when I give of myself. But here's what he says. And he says it here. He says, the reason why I'm giving up myself is because that's what Jesus did. Jesus gave of himself. That's true love. And so what Jesus is saying in marriage is he's saying, listen, if you're going to build something that lasts, you're going to have to let love lead. You have to let love lead because it's only in dying to self that I am able to give myself to love you. I'll say that again. It's only dying to myself, right, that I can give myself to love you. Now, I knew this, obviously, because I'm a pastor, a priesthood. So when I was single, I was single till I was 38 years old. So people thought something was wrong with me, okay? I was at a mega church, and we had almost, I don't know, 800 kids in our youth ministry. I had parents coming up to me. I had my dad who wanted me to get married. My dad would literally take my picture in the lobby of the church and hold it up and go, my son is single, right? And I would have people walk up to me and go, hey, man, seriously, like, what's, is there something wrong with you? I'm like, why? Well, you're single. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, you're 38, right? You're 38. But here's what I knew. And listen, if those of you are single, you want to have a marriage that will last? Here's point number one. Picking the right person is the priority. If you can marry the right person, that's, that's the priority. But so many people have this idea. I'm going to marry Mr. Right, and he's going to make all my life right. No. As a single person, you concentrate on being Mr. and Mrs. Right. So you have two healthy people coming to get married, not two dysfunctional people coming to get married that are looking to each other to make themselves right. Because listen, another person can't make you right. Only God can. Can I hear a good amen today? Come on, you can give the Lord a good round of applause. And I'm not trying to be Dr. Phil today. I'm Pastor Phil when it comes to relationships. But here's what I know when I say as a single person, if I'm going to love somebody, if I'm going to get into a relationship, because every relationship in your life is going somewhere. And when you're in a relationship, I, I talk to people like, how long have you guys been engaged? Five years. Five years? Five years? So the question is, like, where's this relationship going? Now, this is my opinion. Now, it's not the word of God. It's the word of Phil. And I will tell you when it's the word of Phil. My opinion is if you don't know after a year, you don't know. And it's my opinion. After a year, you don't know, then it's no. A year is a good time to see how they are with their parents, how they are with your parents, how they like the dog, if they kick your dog, you know, that kind of stuff. How they are putting in situations. After five years, this relationship is just stagnant. After a year. That's, that's my personal opinion. And I don't want to waste my time with somebody because I don't want someone to suck all the good life out of me. And then when I come and I see, you know, my Cinderella, and I'm just like, I'm so depleted, right? And in relationships, especially with this relationship in marriage, it needs to be a win-win. This isn't you always just giving of yourself. It's them giving themselves, right? So watch this. For me to get into the relationship with Jesus, he gave himself, but he said, in order for you to get in this and marry me, you're going to have to give of yourself. So the only way that I could get saved was Phil had to say, I'm a sinner. And you know what? Now I'm going to put myself on the cross, right? He said, Give, take your, your own cross and follow me. What does that mean? Cross just means you die to yourself. And he says, we can't have a relationship unless you die to yourself. If you're out just sinning and doing your own life, then we can't enter into this marriage until you give of yourself. And he can ask that of us. Why? Because he gave of himself. And so that's the criteria. Jesus sets the standard. So as a single guy, when I was, you know, talking with people, I knew this. I'm going to have to give myself. When I say I love, and so there were girls that I had dated before my wife that I'm like, listen, I'm not going to die to self with this person. This girl's going to kill me. I won't have to die to myself. She's going to murder me. You know why? She complains all the time, talks all the time, and every time we're together, it's all about her. I don't want to give myself to that. So, but here's what we do. We'll get in a relationship to change somebody. You never get in a relationship to change somebody. It's not fair. Can you imagine secretly? And people do this. I'm a Christian. I know you're not. But I'm going to make you a Christian. Can I just tell you something? If God can't make them a Christian, you can't either. 
You don't get in a relationship. So there were many girls that I would date, and I'm like, man, I don't want to give myself to them. No. You know what? They're going to end up killing me. I, I'm not going to put myself and die to self. They'll kill me because I just can't stand this relationship. But here's what happened. When I saw Valerie and we started talking and her, just the way that she was so selfless and she was serving in a coffee shop and she didn't even like coffee. Come on, somebody. Right? Come on. God will set you up. She didn't even know that God was calling her to be in the coffee shop and serve at church because I had a coffee addiction. So God gave me a coffee addiction and put her See how I justified that? And our church had four coffee shops. We had our own youth coffee shop, and I would have to walk literally probably, I don't know, like half a mile, like 50 yards, all the way to the other coffee shop because she was working there. I even tipped her sometimes. Come on, somebody. It's about someone in reaping. And you know what happened when I met her? And she was so selfless, strong, but selfless, weak. I said, I'll give my life for this woman. I'll lay down everything for her. Because when I said I loved her, that's what it means. I'm going to lay self down for you. Can I hear a good amen? Are you glad you came to church this morning? All right, now we're going to dive deeper, but I need to warn you because we're about to use the S word. It's in the Bible, the S word. It's a dirty word for some people. And in this cancel culture, I just want to let you know, if, we don't, if we're not here next week, it's because I got canceled because I just, I'm talking about the S word. All right? So we get canceled, I'm just telling you, because this is a word in society that's not acceptable. Are you ready for the S word? Now, it's in the Bible. I, I'm not saying, I'm just reading the Bible. But it's amazing that you can get canceled for just reading what the Bible says when Jesus tells us how to how to have a great marriage and we use what he says, but we're like, well, cancel it. And that's why our relationships are like they are. Can I hear a good amen today? So here it comes. Here comes Esther. I just wanted to warn you. So if you don't want to hear it, just put your your ear, your fingers in your ear. All right, ready? Here it goes. Because it's talking about marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, here comes the S word. Are you ready? Some of you are seeing it. Submit. I, okay, I said it. Said it. Okay, I'm not canceled yet. I'm still here. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Watch this. Because he's all that. As unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Now, I think this verse is funny because I think this is the only verse that some husbands memorize. Honey, doesn't that word say you go to that church and then it doesn't say something about submitting to me? Come on, hurry up and go make my grilled cheese. That's the only thing that they know. But do you know this? And this is not talked about. Do you know that I'm supposed to submit to my wife too? Did you know that? How do I know that? We read verse 22 and some of us get all offended without reading verse 21. That tells me, listen, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. So she's a one another. So... I have to submit to her, and she submits to me in the fear of the Lord. Can I hear a good amen today? So watch this. I think this is really going to help you, help us today. So if we're going to build our bride like Jesus does, we have to realize what this word submission really does. Because it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a negative connotation, but it's not that at all. Here's number two. Submission subdues self. In other words, watch this. This is all voluntary. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. He didn't say Jesus came down and crucified me. It was against my will. Jesus said, I'm crucified with Christ because I volunteered to put self and crucify self. This is what submission is. And again, it's voluntary, right? So the greatest hindrance to love is selfishness. It's selfishness. So watch this. Submission means to submit, watch, one's self. Self. Submission means this, to get self under control. To get self under control. I wonder if you know what is the leading cause of divorce. You know what it is? Is it extramarital affairs? Is it looking at stuff you shouldn't look on the computer? Is it drugs? Is it abuse? Is it addiction? No. The leading cause of divorce is selfishness.
goes, all those things stem when self is not subdued. Can I hear a good amen? Because watch this. When self comes first, I'm not going to sacrifice. When self comes first, I won't give to you. No, it's all about self. Listen, and so if I'm not going to be able to be generous with you because self comes first, I'm never going to be able to experience the God kind of love because the God kind of love, in essence, is always selfless. It's always selfless. And here's the thing about self. Sin thrives on self. I was looking at the word sin when I was putting my notes together. and Sometimes I just look at word. But look at this word sin they're putting up there. What is the middle letter? Say it again. I. I. This is what I want to do. I was right. You were wrong. I, I, I. Me, 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 me. I don't have meaningful relationships because it's always about me, 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 me. Because at some point in a relationship, you're going to have to give back or you won't have meaningful relationships. Well, let me tell you what's so dangerous about self. Self is never sacrificed. Self is never satisfied. That's why Paul says, I have to crucify me. Self is never satisfied. That's why even every time at church when we, when we take up the offering, you know what that's doing? That's putting self and your greed and saying, you know what? I'm going to be generous. It's putting self. It's subduing self. Can I hear a good amen today? So what that does is when we give our tithes and our offering, it's a good habit to get into because it says, look, me, myself is not providing for me. God is my provider, right? And I'm not going to get greedy. I'm going to put self underneath. And so I, I give. So self can't be satisfied. So it has to be crucified. So submission actually means this. Self doesn't come first. Does that help today? So I submit myself to others, watch, in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord. So here's number three. The priority of my relationship determines the development of my relationships. So who is the greatest source of love in your life? A lot of people will say, my husband is. My spouse is the greatest source of love. Well, if your spouse is the greatest source of your love, you're in trouble. Because if they're not loving you like Jesus loves you, this is where we get off. My church family, the greatest source of love in our life is God. God is love. Can I hear a good amen today? So this is important. If we're going to have a marriage that lasts, the most important relationship in our life is not our spouse. It's our relationship with God. Come on. Can I hear a good amen? Right? So why? Because my relationship with my spouse and other people is always a reflection of my relationship with God. My relationship with people always overflows out of my relationship with God. So if my relationship with God is not good, my relationship with people won't be good. Can I hear a good amen today? But when this is all good, even if this isn't good, this helps me to treat the people that aren't acting right or doing wrong just like Jesus would treat his church when we are imperfect and sinful. So my ability to love others and my spouse is contingent upon my relationship with God, who is love. So watch this. The greater relationship with God, the greater capacity that I have to love my spouse and to love other people. So watch. So I'm supposed to love like Jesus loved. And here's how I do it. I submit to him in the fear of the Lord. All right. Hear me today. Especially if you're single. I have a lot of single people who are Christian. And I found out later that they, they, they marry somebody who's not Christian. I want to ask you this question. It's very thought-provoking, right? So if you're a Christian, and that, we use that word loosely. Because being a Christian doesn't mean that you're submitted to God. Come on, let's be honest. There's a lot of people who aren't submitted to God. And that's why they have a lot of problems in their life. But listen, I, I want to ask you this question. If you're about to date somebody thinking about marriage, mar- marrying them, if they can't submit to God, right, and they tell you, I don't believe in God, just listen to this. If they tell you that they don't believe in God, they're a non-believer, I want to ask you this question. If they can't submit to God, how would they submit to you? God, who is the epitome of love, grace, mercy, if they won't put self under for God, how would they do that for you? 
right? Now, listen, God will help us. He'll give us the strength to crucify self. He'll give us the strength for self. But watch this. I think this is important. A problem in marriage is usually because somewhere along the line, one of the persons in the marriage stops submitting to God. My parents went through a, a, a horrible divorce. My dad was a pastor. And so they went through a divorce and it was really, really tough on my mom. It was tough on the church, right? And then they got, they tried to get back together and it didn't work out. And so they were divorced. Now, my father is in heaven now. We have a great relationship before he died. I miss him, but I've learned a lot from my parents. But here's one thing my dad said as a pastor of a church. He told my mom, he said, this all happened in our lives because I can tell you one thing. I wasn't praying like I should have been praying. I wasn't reading. I mean, a pastor, this is a pastor. I wasn't reading like I should have been reading. Watch this. What is he saying? I stopped submitting myself to God. And when I stopped submitting myself to God, it affected my marriage. Because, because I didn't value my relationship with God, how could I revalue my relationship with a human? Say all this to say, even in our marriage, this is what I loved about her, is she loved God more than she loved me. But see, I knew this. If she loved God more than she loved me, she'll always love me because the love of God that goes through her comes to me. And when I'm focusing on God and drawing my strength and my love from him, it affects our marriage. Can I hear a good amen today? Are you learning something? I think this is so powerful because watch, if you marry somebody who's not a believer, is not submitted to God, then I would ask you this question. What is the standard of their life? Their standard is self. How I feel right? My feelings. But when the standard is self, love can't thrive. And isn't that what we're looking for? To be loved. And love is really completed, not just when you receive it, but when you give it. And for love to succeed, self has to die. Where do you get that from? Our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, our husband. Come on. This is what he does. And he gives himself first. So let me just tell you this in the marriage. The first person who asks for forgiveness, the first person to admit they're wrong, they're acting like Jesus because he goes first. Can I hear a good amen today? And here's the last one for today. Jesus builds his bride by speaking vision for the future. You know, when Val and I met, we talked about our future. What do we? She was a physical therapist. She's a physical therapist. I was a, uh, a pastor. And we had this conversation because as you start to get closer, you know, we had that conversation. So how much do you make? And when she told me how much she made, I'm like, that's so much. And I was a pastor. I didn't make, I was a youth pastor at the time. I, I made. <laughs> and she said, what you make and what we make, when we put it together, it's this amount. Said, wow. I like this girl. And she said, and I minister to people's outsides. And she does. She's giving me a net for her. You, know, you do you. And you minister to people's insides. Together, we can make a difference. We can make a lot of difference. Together. And we spoke vision. But look what Jesus does to his bride, and he's doing it to you. It says Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, as we close, it's talking about Jesus, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church. Everybody say glorious church. Say this when we say glorious bride. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy without blemish. So here's what Jesus says. When you get into a relationship with me, your life's going to be better. Here's the vision. I'm going to present myself. This is the church. This is us. I'm going to present myself a glorious back. Glorious. When you're in a relationship with me, you're going to be able to do things that you couldn't do for yourself. And so I want to present you as holy, without blemish, without spot. Or This is where the relationship is going. And you and I are going, man, we've been sinful. I don't know if we could ever be holy. I don't know if we could ever be righteous. 
But we have a God who sent his son to die on the cross and gave himself because he loved us. And he gave himself first. And he says, this is what the relationship's going to be like. You're going to be a new creation in Christ. All the old things are going to pass away. And you're going to be new. And you're going to have a marriage like you've never had one before. Because I'm in your life. And it's a relationship full of giving. And this is, this is what he does. He speaks the vision. You're going to be glorious as my bride. He wants our lives to be glorious. But listen, Jesus knows that his words carry weight in the relationship. He knows that his words matter. And listen, my church family, every marriage exists for a purpose greater than itself. It wasn't just about me and Val coming together. Man, she's hot. Oh, I love her. Right? She thinks I'm handsome. Let's go make beautiful babies. You know what I'm saying? We actually exist to make a difference in the world together. Because the Bible says that two are better than one. I believe in the power of one. I believe one person can make a difference. And if you're here, you're a single mom, hey, listen, God will strengthen you. And, and if you're a single mom here, look to Jesus as your husband. Let him strengthen you. But here's what I know. Here's the purpose of marriage. One can put a 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. That we are better together. Two are better than one. A three-fold cord, a three cord, cord cannot be broken. Us together with the Holy Spirit, man, we could do damage to the kingdom of darkness. This is why the enemy comes so hard to destroy the church. Because he knows that unity is the personification of love. That different people, different colors of people, right? Different cultures of people coming together in unity is the personification of what the kingdom of God and Jesus is. Come on, somebody. Can I hear a good amen today? Yeah, you can give the Lord a good round of applause. And so that's why he works so hard. And that's why I think about it. Even when we have arguments, this is the devil coming between us because he knows that together we're going to be powerful. And the goal of marriage is that the two become one. The two become one. So God is trying to work oneness in your marriage. And so the purpose of marriage is the two becoming one because one can put a thousand fight, two can put 10,000. So in God's book, in the kingdom of God, one plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals 10,000. Because one can put a thousand to fight, two can put 10,000. We can do double together than I could do by myself. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying you're not powerful. I'm not saying I believe in the power of one. But this is what marriage is. Everybody look at me as we close. You and Jesus together could never do what you could do by yourself. What you can do, you could never do by yourself what you can do with Jesus. Let me say it that way. Can I hear a good amen today? And that's what marriage is. But I want to close with this. The Bible says, how does he accomplish this vision? It says, by the washing of the water of the word. In other words, in marriage with Jesus, his word changes us. And I just want to encourage you as you talk to each other, remember God's word builds his bride. So as I talk to my wife, the Bible says we have this spirit of faith that we believe, therefore we speak. So the Bible talks about God. He speaks faith over us. He speaks where he wants you to be. He speaks who you can be and who you are. Can I hear a good amen today? But how does he do that? He speaks word of faith. He speaks that word. And so faith speaks and believes before it sees. So if you're just looking at your spouse and saying, you know, you're so stupid. You know, you're so lazy. Is that speaking faith? Is that building your bride? Is that building? Is that how Jesus builds us? Like, I ain't good for nothing. That's not what he does. He gives us his word. And the Bible says in the beginning, he looked at the darkness and the chaos and he spoke his word. And the worlds were framed by the word of God. So my marriage is going to be framed by our words. So I'm going to say this and I'm going to close. This is why if you're single, how do you talk right now? Because things don't just change because you have a marriage certificate. No, it doesn't change just because you have a marriage certificate. How are you speaking now? 
How are you speaking over your family? That's how Jesus makes a difference in the marriage. Our words carry weight. Did you learn something this Thank morning? you for I'll listening today. A good round of applause. Would you, you would you stand and uplifted by today's message? For With more me information today, about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com. If you're watching online, did you learn something today? Are you glad that you came? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We worship you. Father, I pray that we would be led by your wisdom and your knowledge and let it build the house, our house, that our house and every room would be filled with precious riches and glory because we humble ourselves. We submit ourselves to you today. Lord, I lift up every marriage in this room. Lord, I lift up everybody, every marriage watching online, and I pray, Father, that because you have joined it together, that it will stand, that nothing would come against it. But Lord, I pray that you would, your love, that self-sacrificing love that you give us, that it would be received today so we can give it today and we can love our spouse the way that you love them, that we can submit to them as we submit to you today. Lord, I pray that you would heal hurts, that if those need, those that are here today need to, to go home and, and apologize, and Lord, that we would realize that a house that is divided cannot stand, and that you are working within us to make a difference. We thank you, Father, for our spouse. We thank you. Lord, we pray that they would be the leader that you've called them to be. And Lord, you would work in our hearts and strengthen us to subdue self. Lord, I pray for all the single people in here. Lord, I pray that as they embark on their relationships, that you would give them discernment. Father, what would be good for them? Lord, that you would, you have the person that you would like them to marry, Lord, and you would show them, you would bring them together. You would have them be at the right place at the right time for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, And we love you and we thank you. And everybody say Amen. Come on, if you receive that today, give the Lord a good round of applause. Listen, we love you. Next week, Rex Crane, don't miss it. Invite some people. God bless you. And then we're going to talk about building a godly family. We love you, and you are dismissed today.